Hello and welcome. Oh, we're going to do this trade-off thing again? To the Carmudgeon Show. Which? This is episode 73. Is it? I, I think so. Probably. Almost certainly. Probably. It could be. Maybe. We, we keep thinking we should do these out of order because we're like, you know, we should have done Or just like, without the numbers. Yeah, because then we can just swap uh, around or, you know, whatever. Anyway. Um, this is this part of the Haggerty Podcast Network? Yeah, are, you, are you rushing through this? Jason Camisa. Hyphen. I'm Derek Tam hyphen Scott. This is a Q&A episode. Yeah, we're going to, we have this high tech solution right here where we're going to put the questions up on the screen and we're going to answer them. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And in some cases, not answer them. Not answer them. You know what you got to do now? Uh, get the clap. Hello and welcome back. Yes, to the post introductory, finally figured it out. Cheers to the post. We decided to do what we, we did what we decided not to do, which was have, have lunch, lunch after. Cheers yeah, to the caffeine. Record after the, well, we can speak in full sentences, I swear. <clears throat> we're saving them for later. So the best part about this Q&A is we're just going to be unconscious, sleeping and napping <clears throat> by the time we reach the second half of it. Yes. All right, you ready for this Let's shit? begin with the first half of it. Okay. Uh, so look at this fancy thing, ladies and gentlemen. The screen behind us will turn from Don't the you curmudgeon. Mean lady and gentlemen. This is actually going to come up today. Oh, funny you should say that. Okay, here we go. Um, so we had. I'll do one, and you do the next one, so we can alternate. Right, asking the questions. This question has also been posed to you, uh, <clears throat> so you can ans- ask it then. Jason, as we near the end of ice. Which I assume is is that uh, vanilla ice song? So rolling in no, my five with my rag hop immig- downs. Immigrant. What does ICE stand for? Internal combustion engines. Yes. Uh, if you could have uh, VW build one swan swan song special edition, what vehicle engine combo would you love to see them release using parts already available? I don't know. I um, do. Okay. What's your answer? Uh, it's a Audi five cylinder three B. Oh, I was gonna say a Phaeton with a V twelve TDI in it. Oh, well, that could be fun. I mean, that could be fun. Like, uh, already available in the... V- yeah, that could be fun. Although I just want the V12 TDI and something other than the Q7. Okay, I stand behind that. I was going to say something like VR6 plus rear-wheel drive and uh, lightweight, but there's nothing really there. I mean, oh, here we go. Hold on, hold on. 718 Boxster with a VR6 in it. Hmm, interesting. Ta-da, I'm done. That's, I guess, part of VW Group. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm a genius. Having driven more than a dozen different EVs in Central Europe, uh, I've gotten a very strong impression that Teslas are in many, if not most, objective metrics, as well as just driving and in usability delight, just better than entire competition. Meanwhile, the reviews I see from various journalists and influencers don't seem to acknowledge. All right, so this basically, what is the reason why journalists hate on Tesla? Is it lack of press pampering? Absolutely not <laughs> at all. Um, Why, you don't think they'd have different results if they were to take people on fancy launch trips? Not at all. I think that a lot of the automotive media is based in Michigan and not on a coast. And if you look at, nothing against Michi- Michigan at all, but if you look at the original Tesla reviews that came out of Detroit, um, the Tro- Detroit area, which is car and driver, who I'm huge fans of, they were very like dismissive in the same way that the German industry dismissed Tesla. No one's going to want these. The panel gaps are this, blah, 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 blah. This isn't right. That isn't right. Meanwhile, they didn't or weren't necessarily aware of on the coasts, people were buying these cars left and right. So I think one of it is a cultural phenomenon of living on the coast. You just feel 10 years ahead of everyone else. And I say that sounding like a West Coast douchebag. 
but we pay for parking with our phones, not in parking meters. And there's just there's a tech thing that happens on the on the coast that takes a little bit while, a little bit longer to get to the the rest of the country. Um, <clears throat> and it's not that's not good or bad. It just is. And I feel like uh, it was a long time before a lot of the traditional automakers and journalists kind of sped up to accept mm-hmm. what is effectively. I agree. I mean, I think a, a Tesla Model Three drives better in a modern sense than most traditional car companies. And does it drive better than, is it a better resolved sports sedan than a, a three series? Not really, but three series is heading in one direction and Tesla is it's just own different thing. I'd rather drive the Tesla. And so there's some discussion also in this question about where there are other products that you really widely panned or that, that you really, you know, like the ID four, for example, which a lot of people were like, yeah, it seems to be fine. And you were like, no, this thing's a shit heap. Like, why do you think there's a discontinuity? I think when you look at stuff from a perspective of a traditional automaker, you can say, oh, well, this is all better. And a lot of people get really excited. Well, no, they kind of get boondazzled. Is that the term? Boombazzled? Bamboozled? Bamboozled. That's it. That's like misled. Or are you talking about? Yes. They get distracted by the fact that the car is electric and ignore everything else, right? All of the early EVs got great reviews, including BMW i3, which was a fucking awful car in every measure. Um, but people are like, this is great. Well, what they were saying was great about it was the powertrain. And you have to remove that. That's a component. Chevy Bolt. Oh my God, this is the second coming of Christ. No, it was a, a crappy economy car with a, a, an unbelievable powertrain because the electric powertrains are unbelievable. And it didn't handle well. It didn't ride well. It didn't. It just doesn't do anything any better than any traditional quote unquote shitbox. That's not a, that's not a dig at anyone. It's just an entry level economy hatchback. It wasn't any better except that it was electric and it's easy to confuse those. And so mm-hmm. when you drive something like an ID4 or an ID3, you're like, oh, this is better than a Golf because it's electric or in the ways that, that the powertrain is better. Yes. But the fundamental car, absolutely not. Yeah. Especially when you then compare it to the well-resolved like packaging intelligence that goes into a Tesla product. Right. Okay. Or, or a Golf. Yes. Okay. Uh, next question, two questions on the same topic, effectively. Okay. About basically, what do you guys think of Caterhams? Yep. So that was Laurent Vemel from uh, Belgium and also Vladimir Sakyan. Oh, I get to fuck up everyone's names. <clears throat> if you desire. Caterham. Um, have you interacted with one? One. What were your impressions? It was fun. It was fun. Which you one? You drove the one that looks like a Lotus 7? Yeah. Yes. And my the conclusion I came to was it was fun. But it's not a car. It's yes. very much a toy. Yes. And you can get 85% of the experience of that in like an Elise, for example, without dying in a parking lot. <laughs> yes, your car will die instead, which I guess is the purpose of a car. To die in a yeah, parking oh, yeah, lot yeah. instead of you. I was like, no, it's reliable. It's a Toyota engine. <clears throat> no, I meant that if somebody yeah. hits your, your clamshell, <laughs> then the car is going to be gone for four months while right. they fabricate a new one out of Hopes and dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, the Caterham is not like a real car. Like a normal sized person, I think, can't drive it with their shoes on, for example. It's really entertaining and it's really like visceral. You're very exposed. You can touch the ground from the driver's seat and it doesn't really have weather equipment. It's an old car at its core. And if you seek an old car without having a a car that has actually been around for 50 years, then a Caterham is a good fit. But it's not really useful for anything other than driving jollies. And it's a four wheeled motorcycle. Yeah. You're exposed to the elements, you have no crash protection, or as near as makes no difference. Yeah. And so if that appeals to you, then absolutely, it doesn't get any more pared down than that. 
Uh, and so, yes, I, I think those things are cool. It's also nice that you can get a modern powertrain in one as opposed to a Lotus uh, with a, twin cams and cross-flow heads and fuel injection if you desire. So, yeah, I mean, they're wildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. You just have to be okay with the trade-offs of, <clears throat> you know. No weatherproof. Not oh. really having a car. I'm so excited about these two comments. All right, the first one, Surreal Tom says, I hate to be that guy, but why do you say coupe instead of coupe? Mm-hmm. Hey, Tom, why do you say aluminum instead of aluminum? Yeah, just do. It's, yeah, I just mean, it's a, it's a regional... We say difference. Chevrolet and not... Or why do you say schedule and we say schedule? They're wrong. Wrong. What? They're wrong. It's a schedule. It's a hard... Yeah, SCH is I hard. mean, there's no consistency yeah. <clears throat> of pronunciation in the English language. Right. So jokes aside, American pronunciation of coop is coop, right? It rhymes with shoop, which is why salt and pepper, let me take you for out of my coop, you make me want to shoop. They couldn't do that. Salt and pepper, that is one of the best songs ever recorded. 12 inches to a yard, going to have you screaming like a retard. I'm not allowed to say it, except I'm quoting it. Okay. Go listen. Well, we just all got of you, canceled. <laughs> this has been it. the stop last stop ever car All of you need, need to go on Spotify and listen to Salt and Pepper Shoop. And this sort of like bridge has a rap in it that is so unbelievably offensive. I can't believe it was recorded and it's amazing. And now we're going to go to... Scotsman. Right. You're so very precise on saying makes, models of cars, and people's names correctly except Jaguar. So here goes an explanation from a Scot. There's Jag or Jag and Jaguar as the A is silent and there is no W-A in Jaguar. Um, I said Jaguar, Jaguar. Right, in, in British English, it's Jaguar. And in American, it's... Jaguar. Right, it's, it's a cat, it's a name, it's just how we say it. It's a coupe and it's a Jaguar. It's not a coupe and Jaguar. Very simple. We are being correct. Mr. Hyphen. Uh, I love this one. You will notice on the screen that it is green instead of red. You know what this means? means that we really liked it. No. So much so. No, 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 no. Zoom out a little bit further. Go. We did our fucking homework. Oh, yes. We read through every question that arrived up until the time when we started Started recording. recording. And we marked them and color coded them because Mm -hmm. we do our homework for this show. Once. Today. <clears throat> so so green means green means that we liked it so well that we're not going to answer it mm-hmm. right now because we think it warrants its own episode yeah so congratulations to is, rick mellinger uh you are appointed the new head of lancia by stellantis how do you revive the brand both in italy and abroad i, I, love, I, I love that you pronounced it stellantis as opposed to stellantis stellantis Stellantis, which is i don't know it's a word i've never had to say out loud stellantis is something that you would hear on a i still think every time i hear that no stellantis no you just hear it on a on a commercial like you know ask your doctor if stellantis is right for you yes stellantis may cause may cause death diarrhea (laughs) may also cure both of those things that's true also by by inducing one anyway yes i think uh, we are now the head of Lancia, and what do we do with this brand is a great episode concept. So. Yeah, so we would like to revisit <clears throat> it as an entire episode. But this is also a classic uh, technique from PR that I learned from the CEO two companies ago, my CEO, which he said, if there's ever a question you don't want to answer, just say, I'm going to come back to that, and then you just don't. Like the PA, <laughs> the PA episode? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> uh, but, but yeah, no, I, I genuinely really like that question. I'm keen to come. I think to we it. should. I think we should. Dennis Karbowski um, says, if the new M2 looks at, as bad in person as in pictures, but drives slash performs as well as the M2 CS, which would you choose? A used M2 comp or the new M2? 
I don't know. I haven't driven any of them. I've driven. But I definitely don't want to look at a new M2. So just on the virtue of that, not I've, virtue. What are I've the driven the virtue? new 2 Series, and the new two, 2 Series did not strike me as better than the old 2 Series in terms of its enjoyment. It's much bigger. It's far heavier. It's all the things I don't necessarily want in an M2. So I'm going to go with the old one. In fact, I'm not going to go with the used M2 Comp. I'm going to go with an M2 early yeah. car, which has the better sounding engine. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And we just saved money. Congratulations yes. for more more tips on saving money. Contact your doctor and see if Stellantis <laughs> is right for you. <laughs> um, Mark Five Life. Jason, what's your opinion on modified Audis with ECU flashes, bolt-ons, ect, ect etc. Et et but that's in whatever. Um, I've I'm driven a bunch of modified. Oh my god! You use the c word. I've been. I've driven a bunch of um, modified Volkswagens and Audis through the years. Um, APR early on, friends of mine uh, were APR dealers, and then uh, more recently, zero three four Motorsport because they're super cool and fun. Uh, have become friends of ours. Um, they're fucking fast. Um, mm-hmm. My modifying cars can very easily destroy them. Yes, it is a carefully balanced system which has been engineered to function harmoniously. And if you start, I would say what you're implying is that Audi has carefully tuned all of their cars, and that's something that Audi doesn't necessarily always do. Yes, but I think what you're saying is there's typically as much handling as there are brakes, and you know everything is actually tuned to work together, and you can easily disrupt that harmony. Hmm. Um. Yeah, but you can also give these cars 600 fucking horsepower and make them stupid fast and fun. And um, in Audi, to Audi's credit, most of the stuff that Audi builds is very robust. You can double the factory horsepower, and dry lines don't break and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> I would say go with a reputable um, vendor. Vendor, especially given the parts prices for Audis, um, and just how expensive screw ups can be. Um. Well, this person looks like they're liking a light touch, flashes and bolt-ons, right? Mm-hmm. They're not doing like build. You don't have to nowadays. You know, in the old days, if you wanted big power, you had to build a motor to within an inch of its life, and you don't have to do that anymore with modern. Yeah, just flash uh, it. With flash it, put a downpipe on it, you get really crazy stuff. So, yep. I approve. Um, right, Malik Barnett says, when discussing EVs, why don't you guys mention Fisker as a newish startup with their new model, the Ocean? Are they still around? Doesn't exist. I mean, in, until Fisker gives me one of those cars to drive and or I see multiple ones on the street or even the first one ever on the street, until that point, it's a startup with an idea. Um, nothing against Fisker. I mean, I've, I've had dinner once with Henrik and what a cool guy. Got fairly well lubricated Refreshed. in the alcohol <laughs> department over, a, it was, we were scheduled for like an, a 90 minute dinner and it wound up being a five hour um, dinner much i'm sure to the chagrin of the pr guys who were there who were trying to get him to shut up um but he's a real car guy and we re- talked real car stuff um and so i really like him i want i want fisker to do well i want henrik to do well in the world um but until those cars show up on the road i don't they're not they're not real cars jerry for the q a what is the most attainable car that you can get driving nirvana uh that comes or or an attainable car, stock or not, that comes closest to it. An E36, E46, E39, BMW non-M, Peugeot 405. This is for us younger enthusiasts who can't afford the cars everyone raves about. A um, bunch of people already weighed in on um, on YouTube talking about NC2 Miatas. Um, but basically the question is, driving Nirvana on an attainable car. I mean, yeah, so it depends on what your tolerance is for driving a crappy old car also. I think we've talked mm-hmm. at length about why the NC is a good fit. I think some of the 
the Peugeot that replaced the 205. So what is that? The 306? 306 or two, uh, the, there's a, G, a 90s car that is, the 205 has gotten collectible. So whatever came after that, I think it's the 306 mm-hmm. GTI is probably a good one if you're talking about Peugeots. I mean, obviously not in the United States. Can we do that? Uh, yeah. But sort of these kind of, that's the purpose of a hot hatch, in my opinion. If you're okay with front wheel drive, which per the last episode mm-hmm. is something potentially quite yeah. virtuous. I mean, here's the here's the funny thing is that Jerry, you answered your own question. You said an E36, E46, E39. I mean, E46s are spectacular cars to drive as a dev- everyday driver, as are E36s. Um, E36s have you know self recycling interiors, um, but you can get a non M E36, E46 for very inexpensively in the grand theme. You're not going to buy a five hundred dollar one, um, yes, but they're but attainable. In the five ten, a three twenty five i and the thirty six three twenty five i and e forty six three thirty i, especially ZHP, but even a three twenty five i e forty six has spectacular steering, great suspension. I actually prefer the base suspension to the sport suspension. I would just swap in sport seats if I could. Um, wonderful cars to drive. You can get there without a lot of money. You don't need to spend a lot of money or an NC two at the start. E forty sixes are reliable. Yes, Most you just have to, the, coo- <clears throat> the cooling system is a consumable part. Right, but that's every 60,000 miles, and so that's, you know, if you every couple years. BMW. Oh my God, yes. I love this question. Which one is that? Okay, ah. um, um, so, Amy Bohm, critique my perfect two-car collection of an F80, M3, and 986 Boxster. Love you guys, and I'm totally here to rep the zero, <clears throat> 0.1% female demo. Cheers. Amy, I did the math. And I looked up the numbers. You are not 0.1% of our demo. You are 0.6% of our demo. Which uh, is a percentage which, difference. It's five times the amount of women that, that Amy accused. 500% yeah. increase. Yeah. Um, all right. So you can critique our two-car collection. I mean, I have not spent much time in an F80 M3. So I will leave it to you to comment on the F80 M3. Okay. Well, the F80 M3 sucks. But a 986 Boxster is great. How's that? That yeah, mean? that works fine. Sorry, Amy. I mean, F80 M3 is a very fast car. It just can't handle its power, and I don't think it sounds particularly amazing. It doesn't drive all that all that horribly as a, as a car. It's just... It's not a particularly joyful no. experience. No. I don't love the way the engine sounds. The car, is, the car is cost cut. It's not the best 3 Series ever, but could you drive worse? Absolutely. Look, the thing is, it's easy for us to sit here in this incredibly luxurious, well-specced office... <laughs> you must give me the name of your ocularist. You know, who, who are you? I can't see you. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, this car sucks, that car is great, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But if, it, if you like it, great. I don't need to, I don't need to critique your, if, your collection. If you're happy, great. Sell that fucking BMW before it starts breaking. <laughs> yes, and I think cost adjusted the 986 is really wonderful. Yeah. You know, like it's not going to stack up against the greatest sports cars of all time at any price, of course. But I think for how inexpensive a 986 is to get into, it's hard to get something more gratifying. They for the money. sound wonderful. They have great steering. The gear is too, too long because it's a Porsche. They're it's not beautiful. Yeah. But put an exhaust on it and, um, you know, in a short shift. But the fundamentals are good. Yep. Yep. Good car. All right. Uh, for, uh, Ferrari SUV belongs in the Maserati lineup. This Amen. is, of course, a reference to our episode about Maserati that we did, what is that, two weeks ago. What other cars deserve to be in a different brand's lineup? So this one is green, you can see. I think this needs like a pretty extensive investigation and thus potentially could warrant its yeah, own pretty, episode. Yeah, pretty interesting concept of, I think we'd have to really, I think it, this question warrants going away and thinking about what cars 
belong to the wrong manufacturer. Because yes. I think a car we that, come up with a lot. Yeah, I mean, a car that it, whose character is really discontinuous, like the the Regal Buick Cross Tour thing. Yeah, like that was in the wrong place. If that had been a more enthusiast oriented brand in a different country <laughs> with different consumers in a different era, no, I mean like, that Lexus car, LFA. Yeah, that's a Shouldn't great have been one. A Lexus. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely okay. not. Uh, we could say that about the Cadillac CT4 and CT5 Blackwings as well. Yeah. So anyway, okay. I think we could probably do a whole episode on that, which is widescreen, mm. and we gave a sort of casual answer. This was in Puddud4 on YouTube asks, um, why don't we and when will we have a dedicated sports SUV platform? This is a really interesting question. And then the point is, oh, is that oh, Derek forgot? I thought to I mute put his... it in uh, in airplane mode or whatever mm-hmm. the heck you it's did, called. but you probably left Wi-Fi on your connected to the Wi-Fi. You need to put do not disturb on. I don't know how to uh, operate. This <clears> thing. Well, well, Derek now. figures this out. The question was that there are dedicated sports car platforms, but not dedicated sports SUV platforms. Um, and I would, you could uh, counter that by saying Cayenne, for example, is a front engine rear drive platform with great suspension. Um, it's, you know, it's shared across a bunch and of different from platforms. from the outset was engineered to be dynamically capable of Porsche things. And don't it's, forget Lamborghini things and mm-hmm. Bentley things and whatever. But actually, if you think about what makes a sports car, pla- a sports car, there's only one left. Well, yeah, I can think of okay, two. Miata. Yeah, Miata. And then Boxer Boxer came in 911. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I guess... If Plus you, some like supercars probably too. Yeah. Anything with a carbon mm-hmm. fiber chassis, for example, probably qualifies. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Once you, But those, you know, nowadays that's six figures territory. Yeah, you're talking six or seven figures territory. Mm-hmm. And I think really, the, I think the reason we don't see a dedicated sports SUV pl- platform is the same reason we don't see dedicated sports car platforms. I mean, even BRZ slash 86 is a lot of off-the-shelf components. From, it's, it's its own dedicated platform, but it's a lot of off-the-shelf engineering and parts from other larger cars. And that all comes down to economics. Yes. I mean, you have explored this topic in depth in the episode about the, what was that icons about? Where you have the Z. Yeah. Where you just say that there's <laughs> the, the disposable income allowance now and the cost of inflation and the stagnation of wages has led to a situation where people can't have dedicated fun cars anymore. And so now more cars, every car has to do more things. And uh, an SUV by nature does more things and making a sports car out of an SUV is a little bit of a It introduces too many compromises that it limits its mainstream appeal in a way that makes it not economically viable for the manufacturer. Much like the Aston Martin Rapide, which was, you know, a genuine sports car in sedan form and no one bought it. Because if you have a 220 inch long car that doesn't really have usable back seat, why have the 220 inch long car? So (laughs) very interesting question, though. Okay, next one. Are you doing this one? Uh, Five car dream garage, but only one car per country. And no cheating by saying Jaguar counts. I'll, I'll pronounce it Jaguar, Jaguar for the skull. Jaguar counts as India because they're owned by Tata or whatever. Um, this one's green. It's green. It deserves an whole episode. Five car dream episode with one per country is pretty. Is yeah. a pretty cool thing. It's just going to be a lot of us mouthing off about things and explaining our decisions. Yeah, I mean, but when you start to think, oh, you need to have one Swedish car. Well, you don't have to. You could choose five other countries. Mm, or how, there aren't that many countries, so it's pretty interesting. England, Italy, Germany, U.S., Japan, Sweden, India, India, China. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yep. Okay. okay. Good question. Uh, Another ghost, green one. Ghost on vinyl. 
Who wins the company bragging rights? Piesh versus Enzo versus Elon. What a cool death match. Um, celebrity That's death the match. the greatest assholes of automotive time. Oh, yeah. Who's the craziest fuck of, of the... It, what a really interesting concept. And I think this this episode has to come the day after the PSH episode. <coughs> Which is so on sort of infinite hold. <clears throat> well, we just we haven't gotten around to it yet because it's such a lot of work. I have been doing research uh, re- lately and Piek, of course, pops up because he always does. Porsche race cars, mm-hmm. he pops up. Audi, most things for 20 years, he pops up. Yeah, yeah he's everywhere. Yeah. But I got to finish that biography before we do it. And maybe maybe, yes. maybe this year over the holidays, we'll see. But Ghost on Vinyl, thank you for that suggestion. We will make an episode out of it. Ghost on Vinyl made the next one because I think he suggested about 700 different yes. uh, and things. And we selected like three or four of them. Ghost on Vinyl is pretty good because his questions led to a lot of... Um, Green. Uh, green things are hyper cars pointless uh the way i see it, there's two kinds of hypercars: bugatti competitors or really fucking fast electric coupes for one is it even worth trying to compete with bugatti and two do these coupes have a point when electric speed is so cheap and accessible in so many different more pra- different more practical forms great episode concept yeah there's a lot of stuff i want to mm. say right now yeah so shut up and okay, we'll I'm come back to that. that okay guy that lives a quiet life asks with every brand having only profit as a goal don't you think the car landscape feels homogenized? It's a leading question. Um, well, the, the but one, we've also talked about this at length before. Right. I mean, he uses the term feels homogenized, but actually it is homogenized. And this yes. is because car companies are all using the same suppliers. The ZF 8-speed. In 92.6% of all cars sold in the world. Takata airbags. Mm-hmm. I mean, when that thing happened, you re- you start to realize like how Like the many- textural components of airbag interactions don't interest me that much. Like, I'm not interested in having diversified airbag suppliers because, like, the experience of interacting with one airbag versus a different airbag. You don't want to interact with any of them. That's correct. So I I don't give a shit about that one. But, like, the chip shortage. You see the problems there, right? Takata has to to recall a billion airbags, and it's everything from an E46 to a Honda to a this to that. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. why all the cars not only feel homogenized, but actually are, because almost all the development is done by suppliers. And even when you see things like rear rear wheel steering that started on an Audi or the torque factoring ZF rear diff or electric power steering, they start on one car, they get it one year exclusive, and then it gets rolled out to everyone else. And the suppliers push that down. Ferrari, I remember Ferrari's engineers telling me they, they had no choice but to switch to electric power steering because ZF would no longer support their development of hydro, hydro steering. So McLaren makes their own system in-house or? I don't know what they do anymore. I don't know. It's been years since I've talked to That might have been a line of bullshit, but interesting. No, from Ferrari. They, they had no choice. Well, uh, no choice. what did McLaren and do? Whatever McLaren did, Ferrari They're probably using the old stuff. They're probably using the old stuff. In Ferrari's, in, in Ferrari's defense, their chassis control systems are so well integrated among the whole things that there's probably that are advantages. Yeah. from the steering, steering angle and all that. But you can get steering angle anyway. But I mean, you can start to correct slides, you know, with re- reduced assistance and stuff like that. But yeah, they all, all the car companies say the same thing. They don't they're not doing anything at all. Does this lead to stagnation in car development? It certainly leads to homogenization. Well, you know, yes and yes, it did both. And I, f- I feel that that's what left room for companies like Tesla to come in and just innovate everything in a very different way. Um, yes. And I think you see... The most exciting cars on the market right now are the uh, on the market. I guess the most exciting new debuts are all the startups, the Rivians and the Teslas. I just 
if 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 this homogeny didn't result in stagnation, that wouldn't be the case. Yes, and uh, to put on my most curmudgeonly hat, uh, which means looking towards the past, I think there was a lot more variety in the past. I often use the Saab 900 as an example of this, not because it's necessarily good, because but because it's so weird, or the stuff that Citroën always used to do also. There was just all of these little spaces where people could do very individualist things that uh, no longer exist. When you go back to the dawn of the automobile, when the, people were just well, figuring yes. out how things worked, you had all tremendous amounts of variation in how an engine worked, how a transmission worked, which how the axles were driven, how you did steering, which where which there pedals were brakes. Were, yes. Right, exactly. Um, and th- that is whittled, or, whittled down and we have so little choice right now where everything is exactly the same solution. It's a menu I'll take you know, a rack and everyone will have electric, every car on the market without, with the exception of the Jeep Wrangler is the only one I can think of has electrically assisted rack and pinion power steering. Okay. I mean, I guess the McLarens don't, um, but you know, that's it. That's the solution. That's what 99 point something percent of all the cars sold in the world. Well, certainly in, in Europe and the U S have that solution. And, you know, for front suspension, you have a strut or you have, there's just so yeah. whittled down to three choices and that's it. Anyway, um next one <clears throat> is Camisa's drag race replay sorry a play on rupaul's drag race okay so first of all josh uh Camisa's drag race is not the name of the show it's Camisa's ultimate drag race replay uh which stands for cooter and that made me laugh uh, <laughs> quite upset anthony uh my director and he was like we are not calling this show cooter and i won that battle um and if Look, I didn't, I didn't invent the term drag race, so I obviously can't be responsible for that. But my only response is, good luck and don't fuck it up. Right. That's a drag race. That's RuPaul's Drag Race code. I know. Mm-hmm. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? It's the only you know, gospel. Thank you. Uh, Pablo Lozano Alonso. What a name. Uh, hello, Mr. Sandler and Hyphen. Do you think hydraulic steering has a future? Is the real? He, he says he's got a lot of things. He bought a Mark II, deleted kind of because a, of you, a Jason. lot of stuff. Yeah, he, has, he it was it was a wordy question, but um, good one. Do we think electric steering will ever get to the point where it actually transmits the road with some accuracy? Sure, yeah, it's getting there. Um, I don't think it will is likely to ever be as good as the absolute best hydraulic steering, but I think fifty years ago somebody was said hydraulic power steering would have never, would never gotten reached. Uh, Unassisted. And yes. it it didn't. I mean, the load my Lotus still has better power better unassisted better steering than anything I've ever driven with power assist, but the power assisted stuff has benefits that out benefits that outweigh the drawbacks. And on balance, I would rather have a modern car with hydraulic power steering. And I think e pass will get there. I don't think hydraulic has a future. Not when no. we're ha- not when we're driven by suppliers who are <clears throat> uh concerned with future proofing for ADAS, so automatic driving and self-driving. Yes. Yep. Um, is there a bright future for electric enthusiast cars? I'm not going to scroll any further than this. Um, you know, do you think there's a bright future for enthusiast cars? Yes, but not the type of enthusiasm that I personally possess. I think this, I'm hugely enthusiastic about a lot of the startup electric stuff because there's there's a new world coming out. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area. We see cruise cars driving around at night with no one in them. And it's really fun 
to watch them learn. No, <laughs> when they all stop in an intersection, and well, then there's like a police. Did you see this video on Twitter of a police officer pulling over one of the driverless cars, and they're just like, "What do I do with this yep. thing?" Because there's no one in it. There's no one in it. Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve. Um, I think what we're going to see is that we're going to see legislation is is going to wind up reflecting what the tech companies are doing. We all think that there's a chicken and egg thing. Like the law says what we do, and then we do that. No. The law always comes in after afterwards and codifies and what the company is. Yeah, to right? try and create some structure and guidance around technical innovations that have popped up where there are no there's no there right. is no guidance. And and to and to anyone who I upset earlier by saying living on the coast feels like you're ten years ahead, I genuinely mean no malice by that. Having lived, for example, in Pittsburgh for a decade and loved it. But we have cars driving around San Francisco with no with you know that are self driven for years now, and now for the last what six months, the cruise cruise cars and somebody else just got an Azuks, I think just got another license. To, these cars are driving around with no one fucking in them, and we're now used to seeing this. But it's now it's a nuisance. Amazing, <laughs> and well, it's a nuisance. Like I was driving down, I think it was like twenty fourth, one of these sort of side streets in Noe Valley the other day, and this quiet so it wasn't 24th it was a quiet street that would have normally normally only ever had me on it and there was a line of cruise cruise cars coming down and there were a block apart but i just kept thinking like wow if i lived in one of these houses and it was like this is my normally quiet street and it was a fucking highway of cruise evs going by i mean it's been like the coolest thing where they will they're so accurate on where they place themselves on the road that they will actually wear grooves in the in the streets. So they have to now, it, all the self-driving cars now have to sort of uh, automatically sort of fan themselves out to not drive on exactly the same inch of pavement as each other so they can then start mapping out where the potholes are and everything else and then avoid them. Coolest shit in the world. Um, that is fucking amazing. And the, the future of self-driving cars where like I just need to get somewhere and don't want to drive and i hit a button on an app and it shows up and it's basically an uber but it's computer driven amazing apparently very far away though still i was reading an article about this yesterday we are we are at the infancy of it but these cars are really driving around san francisco at night with no one in them so it's not that far away so yes that's something I'm enthusiastic about. Is it the same thing as getting in one of my old cars and driving? Of course not. Well, and also the question asks, electric enthusiast cars. Oh. Um, by virtue of how fast they are, yeah. I don't think we're going to see lightweight, fun, interesting, sporty, fun shapes. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, cars, that, that, that part of history is done. And it's sad on the surface of it, but it, everything gets replaced by something else and we'll find joy somewhere else. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm going to go to the next thing because you're upset. Um, <clears throat> and Derek, for a young guy who loves classics myself, how do you see the future for pre-80s stuff? Uh, the fact that the pre-80s is now just like that it's all lumped together as just one period of prehistoric vintageness is really here's comedic why. to me. Well, here's why. Because pre-80s stuff was carbureted. And 80s and later, with that was really the dawn of fuel injection and reliability. So starting from the mid 80s on, these cars can 100% keep up with modern traffic and they're reliable enough to deal with. Once you get carburetors involved, the cars are a fucking pain in the ass. Always. In a good way, often. But I think that's why that's that delineation. I mean, just over the course of even my lifetime, I've watched that line move. You know, that line, like that line used to exist in 1970. (coughs) Now it's moved to 1980. It will continue to move, I imagine. I don't know. 
I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I mean, my cars are all engineered in the late seventies. Not all of them, most of them. Every one of those cars can keep up with modern traffic easily because modern traffic hasn't started moving more quickly. I think modern traffic stopped getting whatever, but they're all reliable enough to deal with. I don't think that was ever the case for sixties cars, you know, in, in the 19. So let's say, I mean, if it's like an American car and you're like, I don't know, it's got a carburetor and it's got live axles and like some brake fluid in it and that's it. But you get, I mean, sixties cars just don't do 80 miles an hour nonstop, um, you know, on I five in 110 degree weather without, being upset you know the engine screaming it's near red line at 3200 rpm and they tend to overheat and they're just not really once you got to the 80s you had like all the having like the honda stuff you get into a 1982 accord and it just fucking goes it'll be 5000 rpm on the highway but it'll do it for 300,000 miles and it'll start every time and it'll get 35 miles per gallon and yeah there is a delineation there but you made me color that green uh yeah i mean i think there's an entire episode there to talk yeah. about i have many thoughts on that Okay, great. I think that's a good episode too. Um, I think this is your read. What are your know. thoughts on the new Jetta GLI in comparison to the GTI? Um, it, they're mechanically identical, GLI and GTI. Uh, Jetta's got a longer wheelbase, a lot more space in the back seat, um, different type of more cargo space. Um, you know, it's a big trunk, but it's a trunk. It's not a hatch. Um, at the end of the day, it's a lot cheaper to buy a gli than it is a gti um and uh the interior is a little bit lower rent it's a lot lower rent i mean you get what you yeah. pay for it's eight thousand dollars i think when they when the when gli came out it was like eight thousand dollars comparably equipped cheaper than a gti and that's a huge amount of money um you get you know the walmart version of it you get crap plastics but uh the and same like, great dynamics and uh, hood prop instead of gas yeah. struts all, that the, kind all of the little stuff now that mark 8 is not a step in the right direction. I think maybe they're closer than they were, um, but but it'll also make Mark Seven or the current GLI seem a little bit older. If you need the back seat space, get a GLI, and if you can deal with the, with the plastics, otherwise I'd buy a Mazda. Um, or you know, Elantra N. If I could look at the face, or you know, there's so many other things. Smiley face asks if you had to trade one of your cars with each other, which one would it be, and why? Uh, so each of us has to choose a car that belongs to the other. Mm-hmm. Go for it. 308. Get out. That's not what I thought you were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say my 2.316. No, I already have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, you would take my 308 GT4. Of course. And The car I, that I used to own, <clears throat> that I would like to own another one of someday. Here's the problem. I'd be very bitter. Uh-huh. Because I really, give a shit. really, really love that car, so I'm taking your fucking Mira, so I can sell it and buy it. And, and oh, uh, that's and, cheap. Yeah, no, uh, no, not cheap at all. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, but you're not even interested in the car itself. Not at all. I mean, I absolutely love it. I think it's beautiful. It is one hell of an experience. I could pay off my my mortgage. I could buy everything else I ever wanted. I mean, how can I not take that car? It's worth five times more yeah, than that's like a that's not intrinsic to the car. Ten times more than all of my cars combined. Yeah, but um, like you're you're not answering the question. The problem is, would I love your one twenty nine? Sure. Do I like your nine six four? Oh, GT three torn. No, you sold that. Sold it. All right. What do you have? Miata. I don't want half of. Uh, the the, the Citroen. I haven't seen yet. The Porsche 964. GTI. Mm, GTI I don't want. I mean, because I have an e-golf. I think that's all of my cars. Yeah, it's got to be Mira. Sorry. Okay. Sucks to be you. Oh. <laughs> this one's on you. So it's the Italian cars. 
We both chose we Italian, traded Italian, Italian cars. cars Carbureted. Yeah. But mine's a grudge match. Let's be honest here. I would buy, I would take your Mura so I could go buy back my own huh. car that you stole from me. You rat bastard. Okay. Uh, I drove three very different cars today. I drove a Jeep mostly on the highway uh, and then an unrestored Oldsmobile 88 from 1963 for city driving where it's very comfy. Uh, And then I drove my Buick Skyhawk, which uh, is the best handling. Is there a modern SUV or sedan that can do all of these in one package? So the question is uh, comfortable on the highway, like good ride quality for absorbing bumps and can handle and dance. The sad part is that describes about every modern car. Yeah. They're all so good at everything. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is go get yourself a Rivian R1S. <laughs> I just saw one in green on the road the other day. Hold on, I got my, make my there's, patented There's two effect. greens. Uh, green with yellow brake calipers. It yeah. was just, you know, they're, they're, Rivian stuff is... The ride quality is on the truck. I haven't driven R1S yet, and it's a 12-inch shorter wheelbase. Um, the truck's got some suspension tuning that i wouldn't have done it's too low in eco mode so it's bounding off of the the bump stops but the reality was uh, the reality is like it rides like a range rover but handles well and just does everything well so but a lot of cars of the modern era are like this i mean we have sort of really figured out suspension dynamics in a way that in the last 10 or 15 years that's really blows my mind anytime i get into like a newish car i'm just like how can it handle and ride like this whether it's the cadillac black wings or you know a porsche macan and i mean anything just has this incredible well-roundedness to it that you driven c8 corvette yet negative it's like driving a fucking rolls royce i don't understand it yeah the first car that i experienced that was like that was the 458 where it really? can handle well, but also just doesn't have that intensity of impacts. It used to be that any car that had rubber bandy tires and could handle in a really high performance environment, you just got something really harsh in exchange. And that is not the case anymore. No. M5. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Joshua Kreider, Kreider says, if you had to refill your garage completely with all new cars, model year 2022 or 23, price non-constraining as many as you need, what would you choose? It's wow. green. It, oh, good. Thank God we don't have to answer this. Yeah. Right. I think we should do an episode on this because, like, you know, fantasy modern car garage. How many cars would it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Next. <clears throat> Which we'll just bypass that. Uh, let's see. VW Group started to put drum brakes on the rear of their EVs. Gasp. Will other brands do that? You know, probably. So I'm not one to look at, um, how do you say, steps backwards in technology. Um, and drum drum brakes are vastly inferior to disc brakes in just about every way. Cost. Except for cost. Um, the reality is Volkswagen put drum brakes on the rear of their rear-wheel drive EVs. That's key point. When you're mm. when you're using regen. regen, you that regen is strong enough to lock up those rear wheels. Do I think a lot of car companies are going to jump in and put drums on the on the rear? Possibly. I think you're going to see car companies remove the rear brakes on their rear driven EVs. There's no reason for them. Mm. So That's the ultimate cost saving. When you start looking, you hear that that Elon is saying that the new entry level Tesla will be half the price to build as the current model three you start to think about okay if the model three didn't have the performance target of beating an m3 in every performance envelope what could tesla do and and just knowing the way those guys think they'll be the first to do it they'll they'll be the first to 
um, uh, what the fuck is it? God, lunch. Lunch just kicked in. I don't know where I am. It's time for a nap. I have no idea what you were even trying to say. Uh, the people who go and go to DC lobby, Tesla will be the first to lobby the DOT to remove rear brakes and say, at any point, we can generate enough regen in the rear wheels to lock up the rear wheels. Therefore, there is no reason for rear, rear, rear brakes. They don't do much, all that much anyway. So fuck it. Um, because discs are a short, uh, a source of drag, right? And you still have the, the, the pad is almost always contacting the rotor. If it's not, then you have shitty brake feel. Um, and VW fixed that by doing an e-booster. So when you go for the pedal, it can push through um, any of the the oh my god i lunch really did just kick in i'm like I the play the gap the gap it can push through there and give you a great pedal feel and and not have that disadvantage of drums and who the fuck is like no one's taking an id4 on a on a racetrack so the thermal you would i mean to test it for the fun of it yes but the reality is that you know that's not necessary we're at a point in the development of the automobile where i'm sure that the the rear drums on an ev and an id4 are more than thermally capable of dealing with any anything that anyone would reasonably throw at it so yeah i think it's a great idea mm-hmm. um uh, the next qu- question from the same uh individual is uh, about subscription-based paywall <laughs> so new jersey just yesterday introduced legislation to ban all subscription-based stuff on cars really and, yeah <clears throat> and the uh, you know the the op-ed that i read about it was basically just insulting it saying look it's not it's it's badly written and it's not great legislation so it's not likely to succeed and to be pushed through but the the sentiment is there and it's basically i love that it's new jersey which is the home of bmw like hello we we Mm. want you to pay for your heated seats but the idea is they were going to the idea of this proposed legislation is to ban anything that's any subscription model for anything that's software related where the car already has the hardware so it's not necessarily looking at Tesla's now $15,000 FSD option <clears throat> um, because that does use the cloud and does need to be considered continuously updated. But it does address things like your car has fog lights. Would you like to pay to use those? Or your car has heated seats. Would you like to pay to use those? And I think that's great because um, the reality is BMW is has fucked themselves royally gravely just, misguided yeah just it's a stupid stupid I mean, idea this sounds like something that came up in, in some mckinsey meeting that was then sold to bmw and they were like your profits will go you know up by x billion dollars if you do this and right. they were like great, great let's do it yeah somebody's excellent in the back yes um yeah bad idea okay um drive alternative asks I to return to that for just a hot no. second do you mm-hmm. think that that's something that consumers will eventually be like oh yeah that's just the way it is no. like you don't think so? Not hardware stuff. Software for sure. And we're we're used to paying for software, but that's why it's software. It's we we pay subscriptions for things that are constantly evolving and constantly getting better. So I have no problem paying, I don't know, Microsoft a hundred dollars a year or whatever it is for Word and Excel for that office suite because it's software and it's continually improving. I won't buy uh, something a piece of hardware that i have to that i have to pay to use even though it's fixed something like a heated seat yeah unless i'm if i pay nine dollars a month to lease my heated seats i want new heating elements in there every season or every month i you know it doesn't doesn't quite heat up as quickly as it used to be well fuck you it's in the and that's the other thing is i'm paying 
to drive this car around with that in it already. Which you already own. Which I already Hypothetically, yeah. like if you don't have a if you're not leasing the car, you're just leasing the heated seats. I mean, look, the reality is I if it were me, I bought a new BMW and they wanted to charge me to lease the seats, I'd cut the wire and wire twelve volts with a switch and fuck them. But the reality is you're, you know, it's a very small penalty for something like heated seats, but you're paying the fuel economy. First of all, you're paying for that product and the installation of that product from the from the factory. You're paying to in the gasoline department to cart it all around and the extra wear and tear on your tires, brakes and everything else, wheel bearings. Come on, come on, come on. Software is different. Software people will lease. Um, and I think BMWs slash McKinsey slash whoever came up with this idea doesn't quite understand the difference between paying for software, leasing software and buying hardware. Mm-hmm. We don't lease hardware typically, right? Well, then you give it back at the end of the lease. Right. <laughs> you can't give your heated seats back. Um, okay. <clears throat> what are the most overhyped cars on sale now? The cars that get all the praise by enthusiasts that don't deserve it. This is are- both green and red. Are there cars that are on sale right now that are overhyped? I mean, do people, do enthusiasts like wildly, I mean, GT3 Tourings and GT4, GT4 RS. But they're not overhyped. They're hyped on purpose. They're hyped for good reason. Yes, because they're genuinely that good. Wonderful. Uh, Okay. Anything else that potentially could be overhyped nowadays? I mean, here's the thing. I think most people hate most cars. I mean... God, I sound like such a curmudgeon. But I mean, the reality is this isn't, we're not in a time where people are really in love with new cars coming out. I mean, what are your favorites? I mean, Mazda products, the Mark 8 I mean, sort of, of, but not as good as the old one. It runs all over BRZ, the place. BRZ, Corvette. Uh, Look, people tend to, I, this week I sold a Volvo to a friend. I mean, sold, you know, I advised and somebody's going to buying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one Volvo, one Volkswagen, um, it Mazda's all the time. I mean, there's just, I sort of, there are, there are big recommendations for everyone. Porsches, of course, all the time if somebody wants a sports car, but there's, we don't, uh, Elantra N, if you can look at the front of it because of Elantra's dad. I mean, there's just, there, there are kind of cars all over the place, but mostly I just talk about Teslas to people. Like if you just go electric, there's Genesis. There's very few small electric. bright spots and then there's just a sea of yeah. disappointment. I think we should do an episode about, um, hypercars because you want to talk about hyped cars those are the most hyped of them all mm-hmm. and i've driven most of them and i think we have similar feelings yes yeah, i agree okay and okay. that's why the f50 was so interesting to me because it didn't fit that mold we are not doing an f50 episode until you find a way to get me behind the wheel of an f50 hello in, in internet hive mind get me in an f50 so we can do an episode on this michael Ture, Terrett. If you're ever in Baltimore, would you like to meet for lunch? Mm, food. I've never been to Baltimore. It's pronounced Balmer for, for those people who live there. Uh, if not, would you do an episode on how aerodynamics have ruined car design? <laughs> if not. By smoothing out sharp <laughs> edges. And those are conditionally related. Yeah. I mean, the guy offered to feed us and then said, well, if you don't want to eat. Then please answer um, a question. Yeah, but the, Derek, Derek has to eat every seven minutes. So the answer to that, Michael, is... Yeah, sure. We'll we'll go have lunch with you uh, for next time we wind up at Balmer. Covering but, up my IV, that's <laughs> my feeding tube that's currently feeding me. Um, have aerodynamics ruined car design? So this one's green. We I think we could talk about this at length. I do not believe so. There's I, my TLDR. I think a lot of cars do look like jelly beans, but I'm not sure that's just aerodynamics. In fact, it might not be aerodynamics at all. All right, we're doing a whole episode. Sacrilege. 
Okay. We need to bubble wrap Kamisa. He is too fragile. You missed an episode due to being sick. The I'm question still, follows. I'm still, I would sick-ish. be so concerned about the fact that I'm coughing and I still sound sick if my boss, who got the same thing two or three weeks before I did, wasn't exactly the same way. And he isn't, when he heals over dead, I'm going straight to the emergency room. All right. Um, so. Uh, your opinions on Genesis G70 as enthusiast car. Uh, which one is the G70? <laughs> That's exactly why I wanted to cover it. Here's the problem with Genesis's lineup is I just have an icons coming on in Genesis and I say really, really wonderful things about a lot of it, a lot, all of their cars. But I the fucking naming scheme. The naming I mean, scheme. they're just doing some permutation of the same thing that the Germans invented. But the, the you know, like, can you imagine if you got in your in your car and your radio didn't go from 87.9 to 107.9? I've had that happen before. And, and instead only went from 99.2, sorry, only went from 105.9 to 107.1. That's what Genesis is doing. Mm. There was the point was that the one series is at the bottom of the lineup and the eight series is at the top of the lineup or A class is the smallest Mercedes and S class is the biggest. Genesis just condensed that from seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine. And it's so confusing. G70 is the old fucking, I can't even remember what these goddamn cars are, are called anymore. It's Kia Stinger size. It's three series competitor. Okay. Good to know. I think because 80 is five series and 90 is, yeah. So it's 70, 80, 90. Um, no, there is wow, no I 90. I just learned a lot. 90, yeah, no, I isn't the one episode. that you just did was yeah, the, the, this 90? Is the This is the problem with Genesis is stop with fucking copying each other. Genesis's products are so great that I don't, they don't need to be copycats of the, of anybody else in naming. Um, all of Genesis stuff is great. Less so as an enthusiast car and more as a luxury car. Um, Nice cars to do. Really wonderful daily conveyance. Not expecting um, hardcore enthusiasts following. Yeah. And that's not an insult to the cars. It's not what their mission is. Um, Jonathan Hall asks, can y'all discuss... This one's red. Oh, I probably just clicked the wrong button. Can y'all discuss how the proper placement for flappy paddles is on the steering wheel and not on the column? I know why this one's red. Because Jason's about to... Get spicy. Well, we can discuss how Jonathan Hall is wrong. All right, good. The proper placement for flappy pedals is on the steering column, as Ferrari does, not on the steering wheel. Yes. And And this this question, I think the way it is posed, fundamentally illustrates the fact that Jonathan Hall has not driven a flappy paddle car um, beyond the limit. Can you imagine reaching down for the stick shift and occasionally it's on the fucking roof? And that happening in the middle of a power slide in the middle of a corner when you need to grab another gear right now because you're at the limiter, which induced some oversteer or some other situation. That you would like to solve not by lifting off or slowing down, but by just reducing the torque. Right. The very first rule of ergonomics is things need to always be where you expect them to be. And the problem is, and that people use that argument to say that's why the, the paddles need to be on the steering wheel. Because when you're here, then the paddle needs to be here. The problem is... Until steering is less than one turn lock to lock, Correct, you exactly. shuffle steer. Yes. And so now I'm coming around a corner and I don't know where the fucking upshift, uh, which one is upshift and which is down. With I, opposite lock, with which opposite should be lock. added. Well, yeah. And this is, I can slide any Ferrari around a corner and I know all I have to do is take my hand off the wheel and go and back. Yes. And the, the shifter never moves. And so I'm sorry to say, Jonathan Hall, we're going to keep, we should, we, we pulled out everyone else's email addresses and whatever else. Uh, we should we should have put his back so we can all attack him. Um, okay. No, he's That's, sorry. You're wrong. 
Excessive. But yes, point taken. Travis Thompson. Um, what new car delivers the most old school experience and character? <coughs> Lotus Evora. Mm. Is that still available? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, it's well, still well done. There may be a couple sitting on lots. Uh, I mean, it's replaced by the Mirror, which I haven't driven yet. Uh, hello, Lotus. Hello. Um, but uh, hi, Jason. Oh, why don't you have a bitch accent? Um, your answer to this? Uh, I offered ND because it is kind of wayward and there's body motion in a way that most modern cars do not have. And that is a very old school characteristic. Fucked up the suspension lack, tuning. <laughs> lack, of, lack of steering feel, less so. Uh, and the motor character is like not that soulful. But the way that the car, the chassis moves and the suspension moves when you're in motion is very, very old school. I would give that to also to BRZ slash GR86. Mm, I've not driven it. Um, it's old school in the fact that it's naturally aspirated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. Right, power depends on rev. Torque right. depends on revs, right. which in a lot of modern cars that are turbocharged is they not don't. a relationship that exists anymore. Yeah. And it's not the most. Uh, it, it's not light your hair on fire. It's quick, but it's quick in an old school kind of cammy way. You're yeah. going on a journey. I love that car. Uh, what's the best performance bargain available today? I mean, I wonder if that is intended to be new cars or, uh, I think so. I, here's the problem is I think, uh, well, this guy, Travis Thompson thinks we should be the host of a top gear style show. Really? Oh. I missed that. I'm not seeing any of this. Um, see what happened the last time Derek showed up at a drag race, he ripped his clothes off. Um, the <sighs> best performance bargain available today. Here's the thing is everything is right. I mean, f- starting from a Mustang, like a GT five liter fucking monumentally fast, mm-hmm. uh, Camaro, brz i mean brz's five mid fives or low fives to 60 that's genuinely a fast car yeah um kind of everything yeah so for the new cars i think yeah those are all good contenders Mm -hmm. it's just everything's gotten so expensive but and and then of course if you're willing to go to old cars then the choices are much more numerous yeah i mean you could do like a base uh nissan z is quite a performance bargain but would i do that no i'd rather have a brz brz which by the way everyone's showing everyone's seeing them just as quick around a track as the z with half the less than half the horsepower i love Mm. that love that Mm. love that love that anyway uh what make and or model would you like to see resurrected from the dead did we see this question before someone else asked this i can't remember whether we have covered it yet on this episode uh make or model would you like to see resurrected from the dead i don't know this is so tough. There's so many. E30. Really? Mm-hmm. I want a th- I want a small, yes, relatively yeah. lightweight. I want something that's the size of your GTI with a very high revving, naturally aspirated straight six. Rear wheel no, drive. Rear wheel drive. Not a ton of room inside. I don't I want it to be small and narrow and upright and dorky and mm. all the things that made E30 great. I want a new E30. Yeah. That's a concept that really has not survived. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how many people would buy that? Like six, ten, thirty thousand dollars, thirty-five. Let's call thirty-five thousand dollars compact, true sports sedan. I think it'd be amazing. And no sex factor. Like, don't try to make it a coupe. Sorry, coupe. But, but timeless. Yeah. Not not frumpy. Just sort of. Are you insulting BMW's current design department? Yes, but not their past one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the the most common question I think that we encounter, and this represents the people who consume our content, which is like, I want an affordable enthusiast car that's practical that I can drive every day. And right now we have, we, the default answer is you're like, okay, you get a BRZ or Miata and then it's not very practical or you get a front wheel drive based car. 
like a GTI or a Veloster N or the i30N if they sold it here. Like that's just the thing we say over and over and again. And so the question that you, the answer that you have just provided is in fact actually the answer to all of these other people's questions, which is like, I want something practical and fun. Mm-hmm. That's, it. that's it. Practical and, and fun. And rear drive. Yes. Yeah. The, we, implicit mm-hmm. in that is a, a rear wheel drive bias, if you will. Okay. Uh, that would seem to contradict your the episode last, last yeah. I know. Well, and that's the thing that we are tolerating because we can't get a rear wheel drive option, I think. That's the same reason why we why we also tolerate turbocharged four cylinders when we would much really rather have a naturally aspirated inline six. True, true. You're right. Uh, Can we expect content on the Z06? Yes. Okay. Working on that. Great. Look Um, at this. As if on cue, best family hauler for a small family. This is exactly the question that we just sort of came off of. So Brian Singer asked this question with a whole bunch of sort of asterisks. It needs to carry three people comfortably with mountain bike gears and three mountain bikes, reasonable fuel economy and reliability, but $50,000 budget. I mean, this is a lot of whittling it down to um, thing. I mean, my immediate reaction is Mazda CX-50. Yeah. Because it does everything well. But you said when we read this originally, GTI. Um, so he says, small family, how small are these people? Well, yeah. So <laughs> that was my, my question. Yeah, yeah, small family is like, are the people all very short so you can put them in the back of a 911? Uh, or I mean I don't know, I don't know it's fifty thousand um, dollars, or is the number of people small? But it sounds like yeah. three people's. I mean, the question you could make a GTI work. You can certainly make a Honda Civic Type R work mm-hmm. um, because that is a lot bigger, a far bigger, two sizes bigger than a GTI. Um, but I think realistically, what this person needs is a is a is a huge family truckster type situation that's yeah, just shrunken down a little bit i mean jetta wagon i mean it's not quite enthusiast oriented although if you throw some tuner bits at it well fun to drive when a twisty road is encountered but outright speed is not important here i think that mazda is just it hits it's all the targets right i mean it's you can easily comfortably on a wrong long road trip decent mileage good reliability under fifty thousand bucks um, I think putting a trailer hitch with mountain bikes on the roof or on the back is easier yeah. with an SUV than it is with a sedan. So I just kind of, or, you know, the Jetta all track. Yeah. I would do a Jetta all track, but just because I'm don't want an SUV right. for irrational. My reasons. problem is, well, no, I get, I, I'm with you, except that I think I'd rather drive a Mazda six fifty than, than a Jetta. If unless it's a golf wagon, if the, if the golf was a manual, that'd be a different story, but you can't really get any, manuals anymore so no but you could for the mark 7 right that's what i meant i would go i'd probably get a mark 7 all track in great falls green with the manual anyway. we have a lot of questions here okay noah brigden gts have you driven or experienced any koenigsegg products being properly exercised what are they like are they enjoyable and exciting or something else um fast and buggy I mean, like just switches and stuff, and you're just like, why did this thing not react the same way last time I pushed this button? Like, it's just like a little bit of a small manufacturer kind of thing. So electronics bugginess, not yeah, yeah, of- yeah. Uh, the I mean, it felt special. It felt substantial. It felt like an occasion. It didn't feel like getting in a McLaren. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, I like how you say that, like, it didn't feel like getting into it. it's not like driving a Pinto. Well, no, but define the, that when you so, so getting into a McLaren, it just feels synthetic and really easy. And like any, the first impression I ever had of driving a modern McLaren was an MP412C4GLTEBBQ or whatever the heck it's called. And um, 
that like it just felt call like it a, 12c it felt like a video game like it just felt synthetic i felt like i was driving a simulation of a car rather than driving a car the control forces are light it's super easy like any person who has only ever driven a camry could get into that car and drive it immediately without mm-hmm. any issue uh, and that is very different from the traditional supercar thing which like is t- typified by or exemplified by a countach uh, or, you know, whatever. And the thing about the Koenigsegg is it has this sort of serious, like, gravitas and weightiness and, like, sense of occasion that feels, like, extraordinary in a way that a modern McLaren doesn't. The goal of the McLaren was to make it a usable everyday car, and the Koenigsegg does not have that vibe to mm. it. It's like a serious piece of equipment. Cool. Um, but, yeah, they're okay. kind of buggy. I'm looking at trading my tuned manual Mark 7.5 Golf R for a GR Corolla Circuit Edition. Um, how does the steering and gearbox operation compare to the Mark Seven Golf R? Um, the they're pretty comparable in terms of the deadness of the steering and the uh, and the ropiness of the shifter. Neither is amazing. I think the Corolla is probably a little bit better. Um, I'm not sure dynamically it's that much of a step in the right direction. In fact, I think the the GR. But you Corolla, were on the track only. I was only on the track. But my my guesstimate is that the GR Corolla will be a much more um, uh, abusive daily experience and that's not a bad thing i mean it rides a lot stiffer than than a golf R does and when you talk about mark 7 golf versus this generation corolla the corolla is i think five inches longer but has like half the rear leg room so the golf is just a much better laid out package um <clears throat> and it's got a nicer interior and it, so the gr is a step down in for, sorry corolla is a step down from golf gr versus r i think you're it's a special step up in specialness and interestingness i just just by virtue of a three-cylinder engine three-cylinder look at it i mean it looks special it feels kind of you know mental mental in where the golf r is too too restrained uh Mm -hmm. dynamically i think having driven that rs3 that i mentioned i think it was last week that i mentioned that uh golf r on uh, i'm sorry the audi rs3 on racetrack that unbelievable all-wheel drive system corolla is missing that so if you're looking Mm. at snow you know uh, drifting around in the snow you're going to want to did this uh, person say they were in canada Mm -hmm. i live in a snowy part of canada and found the golf too refined disconnected not very excited to drive you're not wrong Mm -hmm. um you know, you can go get a Mark V to fix that, but then you're not going to go in the snow. Anyway, um, <clears throat> are there... So un- you say Audi RS3. I mean, then no, that's really too refined and too disconnected. It's the same yeah. same problem. Um, f- for that, I mean... If so there, there's not enough rawness in the GR, apparently. It's, it's more... It's less refined than golf is, but it's not quite where I... I wanted it to be mental. I wanted it to be silly and it just yeah. didn't seem silly to me. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a step in the right direction from Golf R, but I'd rather have a Hyundai Veloster. Mm. But front wheel um, drive. Front wheel drive, right? I mean, so if there was like a all wheel drive Veloster N or a uh, all wheel drive Civic Type R, I mean, I'm hoping Integra Type R comes then out you with And just, just end up making a Subaru. Yeah, but the current Subaru, man, that current WRX is way too refined, way too quiet. Arr. Yeah. Which is so divergent um, from where Subaru has historically resided. Yeah. So I currently have a Golf R and an ND2 Club soft top, which is my summer daily. I'm considering adding an NC2 or 3 Miata. Are there any other more raw sports cars to consider in that 15 to 30K USD price range? Um, you fucking nailed it. ND3 Miata. ND2, ND3 is just... ND or NC? Uh, NC, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is magic. 
Yeah. I don't think you can do better than that in that price range. Yeah, not if you are, unless you're willing to put up with something that like is like an old <laughs> Dotson British, 2000, yeah, or Dotson yeah. 2000 or just something that's like a truly vintage car. I mean, E30 maybe potentially. I mean, what he, interestingly enough, he says, I'm considering adding. Yes. So he's going to keep the ND. I don't know if I would keep the ND and an NC. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you should stumbled on something by saying, you know, the, the old British Roadster. Go yeah. get something. Or an E30 really 325 wrong. even, right? That M20. Haul ass in a, on a good road in, in a 325i for $20,000, E30. Is that really the same experience as like a Datsun 2000? No. Or a 240z? Well, those are kind of on the tail end of 15 30. to 30k? For, they're getting expensive. Shit. Yeah, and maybe for 25 you could get a fairly decent one. But yeah, if you're going to add a third car, then it's probably not another Miata. You can either you Each can replace one the be. ND with an NC right. uh, and then get something like properly like analog and maybe even carbureted or and keep that in or even keep the nd so that's yeah. a daily and then yeah. get something that's truly an experience alpha go get an alpha get a <laughs> yeah. gtv yeah. i mean i don't know if you can be able to get it's one expensive. for 25 you get a spider you get a, a 70 spider right so yeah there i i kind of feel like it no one needs an nc and an nd nc if you want a little bit more fun nd's a better daily driver but then go get go off the deep end and have a lot of fun it's your third car it yes. doesn't have to be yeah, uh, this is a great question Ah, uh, yes. Kamisa, if you could trade your entire collection for a V12 Vantage S manual or a 991 Touring, would you do it? Okay. The reason that he chose those two cars is those are two cars that I offered to buy, even though I really didn't have the financial ability to do so, uh, when they first came out. The V12 Vantage S manual is my favorite modern car, period. And it's $200,000. I One of the few cars that's expensive that i really think is worth it in terms of the experience visually acoustically driving wise it fucking amazing the answer is absolutely not i would not what if you could keep the Scirocco though is the question now because <laughs> obviously did. this response has been anticipated by the fact that the Scirocco is the dearest thing to yeah. you on the planet yeah that's the i mean if i had to get down to one car at that period that's never going anywhere um if i could keep the Scirocco, would i want that no I still don't, and I know why. I think it's the same reason. Because I'm a me. whore. Yeah, you want to have a different experience, right? If you had to, if if it was your favorite food on earth, and you could only eat that for the rest of your life, would you trade that for eating, you know, a bunch of different things? You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I want Mexican food, I want burgers today. You just want a different experience, and I would rather have, you know, four, six, whatever the number is, really divergent experiences than one thing that, even though it's my favorite food in the world, mm -hmm. I couldn't eat anything else. I, yeah, you're hundred percent correct. If I could have the van, forget about the, the GT3 touring. I don't need that. Um, I would choose the V12 manual S the Scirocco and probably two or three of my other cars and then sell six cars or whatever it took to get that other thing. There is a slider where at some yes, point like, where you start adding back in cars that you're keeping and then it starts yeah. to cross the threshold. I mean, I'd have to keep the Scirocco. I probably would keep the 308 GT4, even though you try to steal it from me. Um, I might keep the, the cabbie and I definitely need something front engine rear drive. So that's either, you know, the two, three or the E30 to probably be the E30. Um, and then, yeah, then I could sell the beat, the Lotus, the whatever else to go get, uh, that, Vantage S manual, but the reality is to have $200,000 stuck in a car, here's the thing, to pay $20,000 in sales tax on a car is just something that's not in the realm of feasible. Of feasible. It's Crockable. not even feasible. I can't, 
wrap my head around. I, I mean, maybe I've been in shit box land for too long, but you know, to spend more on sales tax for the purchase of a car than I've on most of your yeah, cars. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> uh, Kenny, Kenny Felix. Felix who asks, do you think cars that have been developed extensively on the Nordschleife, uh, have got the suspension wrong? You left out the that. most important word. Have always got the wrong suspension for road use. For road use, yes. Not always. Not okay. always. I, I think cars that were, were developed extensively in the Nordschleife will be better than most dynamically. The question is where the engineers put the trade-off between lap time and feel. And feel on the, on the real world. And I think a lot of cars really get that right. Um, you know, I think the Nurburgring has helped. So the comment we've made about modern car, well, and also the Nordschleife is it's such a bumpy place that it actually does reward a lot of characteristics that end up being useful on the street as well. Yeah. I think it is, all comes down to where that, you know, that's one. Like, I think LFA is an example of a car that didn't do this well. Right. It was faster on the, the it's Nurburgring. It's so stiffly sprung right. that on the road, it's just, and it's physically huge. It's a car that always feels large to me. Yeah, I think it's always... But like, for example, modern GT car, Porsche GT cars, mm -hmm. I think, are at the opposite end of this. Like, for in terms of roadability and usability, they do a really good job. Well, for sure, the, the Nordschleife is what caused the new 911 GT, the 992 GT3 to switch to control arms, front suspension instead of, or, you know, uh, to wish double wishbones, instead of uh, strut. Do we really, do I think that really pays dividends on the road? No. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm sure it does on a racetrack. I have not driven that car on a racetrack, and I've also definitely not driven on the Nurburgring. But on the road, it, it was spectacular before. It's spectacular now. I don't really think it's that much of a of a game. Um, Marcel uh, from the Netherlands, Marcel Oost, Oosterfair, says, uh, have you ever said great things about the car, which turned to be awful in the end? Yes. So that's like a car that is poorly made, but when it's working at the beginning is really lovely. Yeah, I'm sure look, half the cars that I've reviewed have probably turned into shit piles as they've aged, but I don't have any way of knowing that. Yeah, whether that's the interior of the E36 or like, right. for example, the Alpha 164, I suspect is probably mm -hmm. a car like this. I mean, now as they've gotten old, they're really troublesome and problematic to keep going. But in period, people really liked them. And it, and it works the other way around, too. Um, a great example is early Stelvio Quadrifoglio. They broke constantly the first couple loans that we all had. And then in the real world, they're not really that unreliable. Yeah, my certainly. dad hasn't had no problems with his other than he keeps blowing tires on potholes. Right. So, yeah, so it's uh, absolutely good question. I've definitely turned out, gave, give great reviews to cars that have been unreliable, but that's or just... no staying power. Right. I've heard this about some old Peugeots also, that they just aren't built to last. Yeah, you just don't know. You can't know. You can't know on a, you know, a one-day drive. I mean, yeah, you have to do 100,000 miles of heavy use and then see what happens. Not to mention the passage of potentially a decade or two. Right. Will hydrogen's internal combustion engine save the internal combustion engine? 100% absolutely not. And here's why. Europe, Europe had to vote on whether this was a zero carbon solution that we were looking for moving forward or a zero emissions zero carbon would have allowed hydrogen internal combustion zero emissions requires electricity period and they voted on the latter so no ICEs are are doomed cars will not be burning their own fuel they can now move the you can have a hydrogen fuel cell it's a different story because the only emissions are water because it uses electricity <clears throat> worst production vehicle you've ever driven Mm, it's green it's green that means we can do an episode about great, this one great episode um this is worst sounding 
I think that this person is talking about because they're talking about the LFA being the best sounding car of all time. Mm. Worst so what is the car. worst? I think they meant worst sounding. Oh, well, no, he says additionally. What do we think the worst sounding production car to be? And then what is the worst production vehicle we've ever driven? Two questions. Um, mm. Huh. There's another question here, here spurred by Crosley. What is an automotive manufacturer that has disappeared or gone out of business that you wish could return or at least provide something interesting in the market? Saab. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the worst production vehicle we're coming back to. <laughs> I'm rushing us along because you have to leave yes, yes. in a couple minutes. Um, Eldar. Um, oh, electronic mm. differentials mm -hmm. versus mechanical locking differentials. Right. So he's uh, what he's doing is, is giving examples of electronic active differentials from, uh, from, for example, Jaguar and talking about PTV, which is Porsche's torque vectoring. Um, there are things that you need to remember about differentials. There are open differentials that can use braking um, to spin a stopped wheel. And that is what now Porsche calls PTV. Um, that is not torque vectoring. That is traction control. <laughs> Very simple. If a wheel is spinning and you're applying brakes, that's a function of the braking system. <coughs> and some car companies are calling that electronic limited slip. That's bullshit. That is applying a brake to a spinning wheel that's a traction control function. Then you have limited slip differentials, and they're, they work one of two ways. One is a mechanical that will see one wheel spinning faster than the other, and that differential in speed will cause a locking mechanism to happen, whether that's a planetary gear set or a clutch pack or whatever it is, um, but it responds to a slipping wheel um, and, and starts to lock the two wheels together. And then you have that same concept, but done electronically, and that is an electronically actuated locking differential. Um, in, in, so forget about all the, the brake based stuff. Cause that is not the same thing. Um, electronically controlled locking differentials are the best. And that's because you have full the computer has full control. You don't, for example, on a, on a front engine rear wheel drive car, you will endure any rear wheel drive car with a limited slip. You will induce understeer by having a limited, uh, having a connection between the rears. You, you, sorry. I said reduce, you will induce understeer. You will stop the car from wanting to turn if the diff is locked. And so if you have full computer control over this, as I'm turning in the wheel, the computer can let go of the clutches and make sure that you get great turn in and then relock the clutches as, as you, you add, add power. power. Um, whereas mechanical, you're waiting to react to a to slipping a wheel. State. And so they can induce understeer. So Yes, a, a, a limited slip differential is always better at putting the power down. The question is... So who uses that? Who, electronic? Yes. Like uh, everyone at this point. So for example, Porsche on the manuals has a mechanical limited slip and then on the, uh, on the PDK. PDK cars has an electronically controlled because then they want that extra control. Uh, it's just a matter of tuning more than anything else. Um, like Lotus did really did not want to put a limited slip in the Elise, for example, because it, they, it induced so much understeer that they didn't like it. But people needed the limited slip for autocross. So uh, the, the correct thing to do is a mechanical, an electronically controlled mechanical limited slip. Um, Simon from Long Island. Simon Joseph Long says, Island. love the Maserati episode. Question, name a car that was never intended to be a great sports sedan, but is. I mean, I think that happened at the beginning when they sort of invented sports sedans with the Julia Super and the Jag Mark II. I mean, I don't think that was exactly on the menu. And then people were like, oh, this is rather, rather good, isn't it? Well, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say E30 was mm. never intended to be a sports sedan. And the same with that Julia probably wasn't either. Yes, the original Julia Super, mm -hmm. right. And it's just intrinsic in the DNA and the people who are developing the car that it ends up kind of coming out with sporting characteristics. Right. 
what was the biggest failure as a branded sport sedan? Mm. I mean, I think this is anytime you look at GM in the late 80s, early 90s, and they're like doing the, the Pontiac Bonneville SSEI and they're like, or the four-door sports car from the Nissan Maxima where they're like... That wasn't bad. You're, yeah, it was. The original one wasn't bad. The second generation, yeah. the one that was branded as yeah. 4DSC. Um, but, you know, anytime they're trying to compete with the Europeans, but it's GM of the 80s and 90s and they have no idea. Like there's just a huge gulf between American and European cars back then. I think that they're just, and the, the, the phrases, Euro-tuned suspension, whatever the fuck that means. Like, just, come on, guys. Yeah, no, it was Painting a, the trim black doesn't make it Euro-tuned. Well, it wasn't just training, it was the Euro-flush headlights. And uh, it was, yes, the yeah. aero lights. All year 1986, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the biggest failure as a branded sports sedan? I would have to say F33 series with a four-cylinder in it. Mm, wasn't really yeah. terrible to at the limit. But it gave me nothing that I wanted from a sports sedan. It was my expectations were through the roof because it's a three series. And that was just a huge step in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, Okay. Oh, Uh, you like this one. Um, Adam Click asks, with three pedal CTSV second gen wagons now consistently selling for far more than the manual sedan. Um, if we're experience, examining the driving experience rather than the community hype, is the sedan underpriced for its driving experience or is the wagon overpriced? Um, because obviously I sort of skipped over the, the wagons are far more expensive than the sedans. Yeah, and this is true V63s also. Uh, I think that the sedan is probably priced correctly and the wagon is more expensive because it's more practical and because it's rarer and because there's this sort of fetishization of... Uh, utility and wagons and they're just among enthusiasts and there's just not that many of those types of cars so there's also disproportionately high demand for the number of them that were sold new because they were expensive when they were new and now everybody wants them but you you know but doesn't want to pay for them in the first place when they're new because they're six figures so it is a combination of all those things and if you're just talking about driving experience the wagon is overpriced but what you're getting in exchange is like exclusivity and like enthusiast street cred and practicality and right. a lot of availability. It's a demand thing also. Right. Supply. I'm not sure that practicality factors in. I don't think people who are getting second gen or, as, you know, somebody buying a CTS wagon is really concerned that they are they can throw like Home Depot runs in the back. I, oh, think I would absolutely do that. I would too, but it's the I do in my E30, but it's the perception of that, right? Yes. We love wagons. And yes. so I think to me, to me, I think you're, I agree with you. I think it's a fetishization of wagons plus the limited supply. Yes. And um, high demand. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is interesting. Um, this, uh, Adam, a person has brought up tail, the dragon skyline Boulevard and or skyline, whatever it is in the Bay area, Angeles forest and all these different areas that become enthusiast destinations. And he's asking why did these areas not develop into destinations like you get with ski towns? It's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, like tail of the dragon certainly has that culture around it and everybody plans pilgrimages there and like big weekend outings. So it kind of happens. But it's not a mainstream enough, driving enthusiastically is not a mainstream enough activity, I guess, for that to have happened. Although you get at places <sighs> sort of like thermal where it's like become, they've built effectively a destination. Well, you get the ring. Where, I mean, you get the uh, Nürburgring yeah. is a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. I have a theory on why. Because all the things that we love to do at those destinations are illegal. Mm-hmm. And the bigger it becomes, the less you get to do the things that you want to do. Yes. And the Nürburgring true. is an exception there, right? It is a public road, but it's accepted that you do what, you know, everyone does on the ring. Um, but you start, you close, like if you can imagine there's the place at the base of the tail, the dragon, if you can imagine that it was like 
10 times bigger with like restaurants and hotels and whatever else, it would get shut down like that. I mean, they, they, those places tend to PR themselves out of existence. Yes, because there are people who actually live there who are just like, I live here and you guys are a bunch of nuisance. And, you know, there's been a lot of CHP enforcement up at, at uh, Alice's, yeah. for example, recently. Right, because everyone's because there. The locals to, are tired of it. Well, and everyone's there to break the law. I yes. mean, we're there not to drive quickly, and that's apparently against the law to have any fun in California. Anyway, um, yes. I'd like some high-quality, large print, I think he means large format, hardcover automotive books for his coffee table that aren't cliché. I have so many of those. I would say DM me, honestly, because I too many to go into. Other people probably are interested. I mean, you we can know, do an episode on that. We can do a, uh, a small a sidebar list somewhere. A sidebar, yeah. A sidebar during um, episode. What is the car, Thomas Car Carabine? What's the dumbest car name of all time? Uh, I don't know. Mercury Turnpike Cruiser. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. 1957. I was going to say Chevy Nova. Yeah. And I mean, it Nova. has to be or Buick LaCrosse if you're Canadian. Why? lacrosse is playing with yourself in your pants it's playing pocket pool you know i didn't know that? know that yeah okay um uh, there's a couple of questions here about mr2s yeah a couple a couple of people have asked about mr2s and they both said the same thing isn't the gen 3 mr2 basically a cheap elise and then this t show person said uh the s2000 is the best of uh the mr2 and the uh mr2 and the brz um no the s2000 is not a k-series engine uh, by the way, um, it is not one of my favorite Honda four cylinders. And the S2000 is not the best experience of any open, um, open top car. It at least is in a class of its own. I mean, it's 1900 pounds versus 19 and change versus, uh, 25, 26, 27. In the case of the, the S2000, almost 3000 pounds. Um, you just can't replace lightweight when you're dealing with a raw sports car. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but neither of us have a lot of experience in second gen. Um, I've never driven MR2. An, any MR2. I have. Period. Engine was relatively uninspiring. Which one did you drive? Second. That's um, like a 1992 mm, or something. Yeah, it was okay. First one didn't do anything for me at all. It was like I looked at the tack and I was like, oh, 7,500 RPM. It's going to be great. Didn't um, didn't light my hair on fire. Mm. Beautiful to look at. Uh, the third was stunningly beautiful. This is the like Boxster mm -hmm. or MGF. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, I, if it had 2ZZ in it, maybe which was the, the Toyota engine that wound up in the Lotus Elise. Uh, I don't know enough about these cars. I should drive uh, MR2s more, but... I've never had an opportunity. Yeah, uh, not enough. Um, why did the ND Miata receive a claim for its downsizing when the MR2 Spider was ridic uh, ridiculed for it? That's the third, the last MR2. Um, I don't... That's a really good question that I don't know the answer for. Were there dynamic dividends that were paid off potentially by that? I don't know. Or not paid off? I, my guess is no. I don't remember any hugely positive reviews of the MR2 Spider. I also think it was awkward looking. Then again, so is the ND in some some ways. Um, we should come back to MR2. We should go and drive some. I mean, we just have to drive them and <laughs> develop our own perspectives, I suppose. Yep. Uh, 30 different cars in Mercedes product line, over diversification. Is there a market for over diversification? I would say that because the products all exist, the answer to that question is yes. I mean, what they're oh. basically doing is differentiating the market into ever smaller pieces, and they have the p bits and pieces in order to build cars for those little small segments, and people buy them, uh, and the margins basically go up because they can access people who otherwise wouldn't buy products. It's it's a form of product uh, of uh, discrimination, uh, in discrimination not in the negative sense like price discrimination mm -hmm. where you identify mm -hmm. people's willingness to pay more for a different form factor and so you can charge more and develop a product that 
has a little more appeal evidently to those people such that they're willing to pay more money for it. I think that Mercedes has become a master in slicing that pie. All the German car companies have with minimal investment. So, correct. you know, X6. X6 I, versus X5, right. where you just put a new like sort of top right corner. Right. And they, they've done it in ways where they only have to crash the car once and they only have to certify it once. And so they're really minimizing the investment and the payback, especially when you can charge $10,000 more for an X6 than you can for an X5, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or for GLE reasons. Or Coupe versus GLE, you know, not Coupe. Um, yeah. yeah, clearly there is a market for it or it wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um it's a self-answering question. Um, in the spirit of Halloween, what would be your ultimate Frankenstein swap car? So this is Ben Beacock, who I met a years ago when he made a mid-engined VR6 Scirocco. So um, he's got a, a course in the Frankenstein swap car uh-huh. race. But uh, I don't think he let me drive it. He had literally started it the day before he showed up this car show years and years and years ago. Um, ben, ship out your car. I want to drive it. And uh, we need to... Uh, do a whole episode on Frankenstein swap cars. Yeah. I mean, because you basically choose your favorite engine, your favorite transmission, your like favorite this. I mean, yeah. we could just... Can you imagine the combos that we're going to be able to come up with? Yeah. I mean, I would have an absolute field day. They're all going to have Busos. I don't want to talk to you about this. No, no. I'd put speed sixes in some of them. TOVR speed sixes mm. or like, I don't know, like definitely. Okay. Or like uh, S62s. Um, Let's stop it right now. We're going to go to the next question. My name is Aaron and I'm from Canada. Hi, Aaron from Canada. Hey. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got an E30 right now, and now he wants to buy a 2.316. And so I'm going to direct this question to Derek. What is the best way to buy a Eurospec 190E 2.316? Um, (laughs) This did not turn out well for me. I did a textbook example of what you're supposed to do, and it did not. I mean, here's the problem with my scenario is that i tried to use the car while it was still in europe before nope, sorting. i used mine so i bought my euro 190 2.316 in germany okay I well a thousand I just, kilometers on it okay well fuck right off um mine was just a, a sat don't buy a car that sat around a lot for a no, long mine time sat a lot mine had 70 okay what's the right answer then don't Jason? buy a car from italy okay great don't buy one from italy buy a buy german from car germany or switzerland yeah, you always find a culture of people who absolutely love the artisanship of working on something properly, doing something correctly, and then have inspections like TÜV that will point out every little thing that every mechanic fucked up and make you fix it, or they won't let you register it. And okay. so that's mine. So yes, or you can just wait for one to turn up in the US, which is what I would, or in the, the yeah. Canadian North America, uh, if you're willing to wait. But you do pay a premium and it's less of an adventure. But this person also bought a 325i Mtech from Japan. And that's it also the right way. It imported from right. Japan. I think it was already in Canada. Right. But that's a great, great way to do it. Because Japanese specs, Japan is, my friend that keeps telling me this all the time. Japan is the Germany of Asia, right? Yes. Ja- the Japanese and the Germans tend to th- view things very differently. There's pride of craftsmanship and pride you of mean workmanship. Sorry, what did I say? Differently. Who are you? I told you the lunch. Anyway, yes, you buy a German German or Swiss or Austrian uh, spec car. Um, Ethan asks, would either of you buy a press car if you could not get an allocation for a new one? Nope. Yes. Really? Yeah. Find out who's tested it. If no one's done instrumented testing on it, it's probably fine. Oh, yes. I was imagining that it was a car that had been through instrumented testing. And also most modern car cars. Yeah. But most modern cars, as long, if it's not a manual, a, they'll do launch control 200,000 times. No one cares. Yeah, modern cars are robust enough. I wouldn't care. Mm. Um, I just imagine you having driven it, and then I'm like, no. <laughs> and you, and yet, the car that you would take from my collection would be the Ferrari, which I used to own. Yeah, I had reservations of owning it after I know what you did with it. 
I didn't drive it off-road more than 200 oh. miles. Yeah. Dirt road. Um, You're just costing me resale value here if I ever go to sale. Um, your first, to right? me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mark Bailey. Uh, what are the things that make up a good car personality to you? Yes, because certain cars have things that where we they have, the personality is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, engine, first and foremost, engine. There has to be some kind of experience associated associated with the engine. There has to be an experience. You know, this progression as you proceed through the revs. It can't sound the same all the time. It can't deliver the same amount of torque the entire time. Mm-hmm. It can't have a low red line. Complex exhaust notes that resonate at different times. Com- not exhaust. Complex engine noises. And, and noises, right? Yeah. Intake that sounds different at different throttle openings. Different, uh, you know, some engines get angry under throttle and then have cam chain timing changes that really uh, wake them up. And um, I would say second behind that is probably the way the chassis behaves. It can't be a one-trick pony. It can't just have one mode, which is boring. To me, it's steering. After it's, it oh, comes really? next, yeah. I would put chassis before steering really? personally. Yeah, yeah. A car. I'm less just, of a steering Nazi than you are. Yeah, to me, I mean, steering is great even on a straight road. Yeah, you know, you're just you're feeling stuff, and and you're you're you know, it's one of the few things. Chassis definitely comes next. So the question is, what's two? One? Th- what's third place? Whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting that he identified that all the ways that people identify a car's personality is the way that the car's trying to kill them, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. That's a very you phrase. Yeah, well, I mean, it is. I mean, flaws are personality. I think we've said this a, a bunch of different times. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We are at 90 minutes approximately. Okay. Should we call it here? Yeah, I guess we can call it. I mean, there's a question about, a, is the transmission relevant in the C2 Corvette's shifting feel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, everything is always the sum of all parts involved, um, which is why the Carmudgeon Show is a sum of all parts involved. Carmudgeons. It, <laughs> it is the sum of carmudgeons. Um, so apologies to anyone whose questions we didn't get to. I think we'll probably have a you know five or six questions we didn't get to. Um, we'll do this again soon because uh, the one thing I got to say is our audience is really nerdy. good at asking questions. They're really? nerdy. They're like asking pretty sophisticated yeah. questions. I mean, how many episodes part. did we get out of this? We owe them a thanks you know, for everyone who asked a question that was so good that we thought, you know what? We can't just answer this without doing yes, the whole episode. So, correct. So... Thank you, now everyone. you have an idea of what's coming down the pike. Hopefully, unless we just don't do it because we say we're going to do it. and then uh, It's only the Piek episode because it requires you to read a book, which I cannot read. One day. I hope so. I just have to Me learn too. German. Okay. I hope so too. Happy trails. We'll see you next week, probably, unless we don't see you next week, in which case we'll see you when we see you. Why would we not see them next week? Oh, if there's a holiday or something. Yes. This okay. has been episode 70. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Three, two, three. I think it was three. Uh, episode I, seventy-three I we need of to the Carmudgeon Show. All right, Tom. <laughs>